be wonderful. I want to speak this morning on a spirit of excellence, and we're going to try this thing. And uh, a massive thanks to everyone. What a great night Friday night was, the Cayley. Oh, just so great to see so many people having fun, and I think we're on to something special there. A spirit of excellence. I like this quote by Martin Luther. It says this, the Christian shoemaker does his duty not by putting little crosses on the shoes, but by making good shoes. Because God is interested in good craftsmanship. I love that. Whatever the craft is, shoemaking, making MRI machines, designing, producing, serving, God is interested in a spirit of excellence. God is interested in uh, whatever you do, doing it really well. Here's an example in the world, in the sphere of entertainment. Two local lads, Dundee, they go to the gate church, Liam Johnson and Stuart Hamilton made a little video called Dundee's Pirate Problem. Did you know Dundee has a pirate problem? And um, it's had 59.6 thousand views as of last night on BBC Scotland. It was showed on BBC Scotland. Let's just watch it. Uh, so no way you can just let us on for a quick look around. Put the sound up a bit, please. Please. Yeah, please. Please. Ah, go on then, just a quick peek. Yeah. Thank when you. you. Thanks, Chief. Uh, hold on, though. You're not... <laughs> You're not pirates, are you? Basically, my job is security. Uh, normally it's a pretty easy gig, uh, but recently we have been having some problems with pirates. Well, I mean, do we look like pirates? Well, no, but you could be hiding things in your bag, sir. An eye patch, maybe. Uh, some hats. I mean, a ship like the Discovery, that's to a pirate, that's like a... It's like a moth to a flame, or whatever. I, I don't know how the mind of a moth works, but it terrifies me. The thing is, a pirate's not just going to give themselves away. You have to catch them out. Can you join the uh, ship, I hope? Yeah. Yeah? Yeah? Could I interest you in a refreshment, perhaps? Yeah. Maybe uh, a mm -hmm. bottle of rum? Rum? Um, have you got any water? Um, yeah, well, there's some water here as well. Um, yeah, that'll be uh, two, pieces, two pieces of eight, please. Pieces of...? Pieces of eight, yeah. Oh, uh, I've got a pound. I mean, it's not like they can actually steal it or that. It's basically in a big swimming pool, but it is annoying having them running around the deck and that, putting up flags. My boss, Gary, has told me that if it happens again, then I'm going to be walking the plank, so to speak. Yeah, sometimes I can be a little overzealous. You've got nothing to hide, have you, sir? You've got nothing to hide. Mistakes have been made. I'll put my hands up to that. Stop it! Okay, all right, all right. On this occasion, it was actually just a nice couple having a day out, but I always say, better safe than sorry. And at the end of the day, I mean, I'm looking after a national treasure, so... Oh, you're kidding me. What the hell's going on up there? No, Gary, it's, uh, it's just seagulls. Gary, just cut it, cut it there. You know what? I think God is interested in good craftsmanship. Your craftsmanship might be entertainment. It might be comedy. God is interested in it being good. Whatever you do, doing it well, doing it excellently. And I say good on these guys. You know, going into the in entertainment industry, causing people to laugh, 
and doing it in a clean and a good, humorous way. I love good uh, comedy, and um, I say good on them. God is interested in excellence. Let's have the next slide up, please. There we go. Doug Dietz is an industrial designer with General Electric. He spent his life designing MRI scanners, and in 2007, he had been working for a couple of years on his new model, and he was working to increase, improve its design, its efficiency, its speed, and he went to the hospital to view it in action. This was a big moment for, for Doug. It was a big moment. He was excited, and he went to the hospital to view it in action. Let Duke tell his story. I thought I'd start with this, which is kind of the, a little bit of the thread or the kind of the heartbeat of, of my story today. And you've heard a lot about the design thinking and the design process that a lot of these folks have gone through, very powerful tools. And I just want to emphasize that empathy at the beginning for me is something that I think is really what is the heartbeat of the project when you move forward. And a lot of times when you move forward into the iteration and prototyping and some of the design phases that you go through, you need to actually refocus back and see what the empathy was that actually got you started at the beginning. So I thought I would just share, share a quick story with you guys. And this is a little tough story to tell, but I'm gonna give it a shot. Um, so I had just finished um, designing a big MR scanner. How many people here just have an MR scan? The big oh, MRI scan, oh my gosh, a lot of you guys, so don't charge the stage. <laughs> um, so I had just finished uh, designing this big MR scanner and I was very proud. I think I had worked on this thing for probably about two years. And you know, doing, I'm an industrial designer and I was doing the enclosures and the controls and displays and the coils and patient transfer, um, that kind of stuff. And I was so excited to see this, uh, the first product that we installed. So I went, went to see it in its actual environment in the hospital. So I was just running through this hospital to check out my new product that I had just finished. I'm really excited. And I kind of almost like barged in, you know, took my wallet and all the metal stuff out of my pockets, you know, and ran in and was, you know, with my baby, you know, and I was just a proud papa basically. And um, I remember the technologist coming in and saying, you know, we have a patient that's going to be coming through so could you step out for a little bit? I said, sure, no problem, I'll come back in, we can talk later. And I remember walking out and I was standing in the hallway and this is kind of what I saw down the hallway. I saw this young family coming down the hallway and I'm just standing in the hallway and they're coming toward and I can tell as they get closer, the little girl is weeping. And as they even get closer to me, I notice the father just leans down and just goes, remember, we've talked about this, you can be brave. And they turned to walk into the MR suite, and I kind of follow them in. And I still remember it like it was today, guys. I'm standing behind the little girl. She's probably about seven. And I'm looking into this environment that I was just standing in. I was just in there, in this environment, just you know, doing my happy dance, right? And um, she just freezes. And I, looking at her angle and just seeing in that same environment where I was just standing, I realized that this is something totally different. On the wall is that you know, horrible warning sticker. You know, it's got the magnet and the big exclamation point. It's got that yellow and black tape like on the thing, like, you know, almost like an accident scene. Um, you know, everything looks really kind of like beige. You know, it's got this kind of weird colored flooring and you know, just kind of everything's bleached out. 
And then the room itself is kind of dark, and it kind of has those flickering fluorescent lights. And the machine itself that I designed basically looked like a brick with a hole in it. And then, of course, an MRI for you folks that have had one, um, it is just a terrible noise. So the little girl just starts to really cry. I mean, she's just breaking down. And I can tell you guys, I'm standing behind and I see these parents. And for you guys that are parents, they're looking at each other. And they don't have to say a word because they don't know how they're going to get their child through this. So that was a huge awakening for me. So the challenge that we have here is you've got that little guy, and he needs to go through a scan in that. What a moment. He started off being excited and looking forward to this moment of seeing his product in action. And he was woke up to the fact that he had designed it without empathy. He designed it with speed, efficiency, and um, how, how to make it more uh, excellent, but he hadn't thought about the patient experience, the patient journey. What would it be like for the patient? And so he was faced with an incredible moment, and moments define our life and how we respond to them, and the question would become, how would he respond to this moment of depression, of discouragement, because he realized he designed a brick with a hole in it, and it was utterly terrifying to the patients to go into this, and he had a wake-up call, he had a moment of experience. And 80% of children undergoing MRIs had to be sedated, that carries its risk, just to get through the process. 80% had to be sedated in order to go through the process. And so it was an utter defining moment as moments of discouragement, disappointment in our life um, can become. And the question would be, how would Doug respond? How would he respond to that moment? I don't know what Doug's faith is, but I do know he's a man that's created in the image of a God who is a creator God, who is a God of excellence. He's created in his image and his likeness of a God who's creative, who's excellent, who cares for people. And Doug, as we're going to see at the end, I believe is a great example of using his God-given passion, skills, and talents to respond to a moment of disappointment, to learn from it, to turn it around, and to make a huge difference to affect that statistic. And we're going to see a little bit later. The, the, the biblical example I want us to learn from today is Daniel. Daniel was from the 6th century BC, over 600 years before Jesus Christ walked the earth, was this man called Daniel. He was a Jew uh, from Israel, and he lived during what was called the Babylonian exile. Very simply, it means there was this nation called Babylonia, a world power. They came and destroyed Jerusalem. They destroyed the temple. They took um, a, a number of the, the Jewish people as prisoners and captives and took them 900 miles east to a place called Babylonia, to a foreign culture, a foreign nation, a foreign land, a different culture, a different religion. They changed their names. Daniel and his three friends had the name of Yahweh, their God in their name. They changed their name to put the name of the foreign gods in their name in order to change their identity. 
So they're wanting to completely renew their mind, change their mind, transform their identity. You no longer serve your God, you're going to serve our gods. But we're going to see and learn from a man called Daniel. We read in 9, 5, verse 12. What happens in Daniel 5 is that King Belshazzar is having a feast and he is drinking wine from the gold goblets that they took from the temple. He's having a feast and a party and he starts praising the gods of the gold, the silver, the bronze, the iron and the stone. He starts to praise his gods and this incredible event happens. Imagine this happened right now. A hand appears, just a hand and starts writing on the wall. King Belshazzar, he goes white, he loses his color. He just goes weak, he goes absolute limp, he's absolute terrified. This human hand literally appears on the wall and he calls all the enchanters, all the wise men and asks them to interpret. What does this writing mean? Nobody could interpret it. And then the queen comes out. The queen comes out and goes, I know someone who could probably help you with this. And this is what she says, talking about Daniel. Because an excellent spirit, that's what our talk is about. Daniel was a man who had an excellent spirit, okay? Because an excellent spirit, knowledge and understanding to interpret dreams, riddles, and solve problems were found in this Daniel whom the king named Belteshazzar. Now let Daniel be called and he will show the interpretation. Isn't that great? A reputation he had in a foreign culture, he had a reputation. It goes on in 514, I have heard of you that the spirit of the gods is in you and that delight and understanding and excellent wisdom are found in you excellent wisdom and again we see the word excellent in 6 verse 3 this Daniel became distinguished above all the other officials and satraps why did he become distinguished because an excellent spirit was in him and this king planned to set him over the whole kingdom what does distinguished mean it's used to describe a person that is respected and admired um, or their work is respected and admired Daniel was respected and admired because he had an excellent spirit in him Daniel is a modern example we are called to be distinguished. We're called to have a reputation because there's an excellent spirit in us. And when the writing's on the wall for people and they can't interpret the circumstances of their life, they should think, who's got the spirit of the gods in them? <laughs> they don't know what to describe. They just knew he was different, knew he was a man, knew he had an excellent spirit in them. Daniel was distinguished. What does it mean to have an excellent spirit? I think we can see from the life of Daniel three things about Daniel that I believe that made it an excellent spirit that was in him. My screensaver, I'll need for next time, I need to make sure my screensaver doesn't keep going on. Number one, Daniel was determined. In Daniel 1, verse 8, we, we read that Daniel determined not to defile himself with the king's food and wine. And so he asked for. Uh, vegetables and waters what was that about he was a Jew they had dietary restrictions and regulations and he didn't want to break those he didn't want to eat food that was sacrificed to foreign gods to foreign idols why why did he care why did he bother you know you might insult somebody and be beheaded surely God 
you know, I can compromise my standards. Surely God will understand if I just eat that food because I might be beheaded. But Daniel was determined. He was resolved. He had made up his mind. He was determined. He was purposed in his heart that he was going to honor and obey God in a foreign culture, not worrying about who he would insult, not worrying um, about who would be offended, but he was determined. And that's the first characteristic of an excellent spirit. The first characteristic is to be determined in your heart, to resolve in your heart, to honor God, to obey God above all else. Not to compromise the standards with the prevailing culture, just to fit in because we live in a culture where it might be not popular to believe certain things or say certain things. Daniel prayed three times a day, we're going to learn. He didn't shut the curtains. He didn't hide away. He did it with the windows open to be seen. He was determined in his heart. You can, you can change my name. You can change my circumstances. You can remove me from my family, but you cannot change my heart. And my heart is resolved that it's going to follow God, obey God, and please God above all else. Because determination is your anchor in the storm and your base in days of battle. Storms will come, Jesus said, in this life you will have trouble. Storms are going to come, battles are going to come. Will you succeed or fail? How you, whether you succeed or fail will be decided by the decisions you have made before the battle, before the storm. The decision you have made in your heart, I will please God regardless of what it costs me. I will live according to his ways. I will not compromise my standards. I will not give in no matter what pressure. And we see Daniel as having an excellent spirit within him. This excellent spirit made him distinguished. It gave him a beautiful reputation to interpret the writing on the wall. And it first came from his determination. This is not just about grit and steel and willpower. I can do this. I'm determined. Yeah, I can do anything I put my mind to. No. That's not the determination I'm talking about. First, it's the, it's the heart decision. God is first in my life. I will please him. Secondly, we see the second characteristic of a, a spirit of excellence is prayer and thanksgiving. It says that he got down on his knees three times a day and prayed and gave thanks before his God as he had done previously. He was distinguished, had an excellent spirit within him, and he prayed three times a day. Let me suggest that it's not possible in God's kingdom to be distinguished, to have an excellent spirit, unless you're a person of prayer. Jesus modeled a lifestyle of prayer. Prayer reflects how dependent you are on God. Atheists don't pray. They don't need to pray because they can solve their own problems. They can get through life and be successful on their own. They can fix it. They don't need God, and so they don't pray. And some Christians are practical atheists. They go to church on a Sunday, but they're still trying to fix their own problems. They're trying to depend on themselves. You either depend on God or you're independent, dependent on yourself. I've got what it takes. I've got the strength. I'm the man. I'll solve my own problems. I can get through this. I'm tough. I've got the skill. You know what? 
It's not long before we all realize, <laughs> no, we cannot get through life on our own. I need God. That's humility. Humility is, I need God. What's the opposite of humility? Pride. And so to come to God, we see that David, he said, I stopped to praise you. Now what's interesting about uh, Daniel, he says, he prayed and gave thanks. Now there's the heart of a spirit of excellence. Thanksgiving, even psychologists will tell you through studies that an attitude of gratitude impacts your, your health mentally and emotionally and physically beneficially, just having an attitude of gratitude. But as Christians, we're called to not just be grateful, but be grateful to God, because we believe everything we have is from God. The ability to breathe, the oxygen in the air, the fact that the universe is together, is held together, all things are held together by Him. So everything we have comes from God. An attitude of thanksgiving is essential because without it, you're focused on your problem. And your problem, you know, there might be 99% of things in your life that you could be grateful, and there's 1% of problems in your life, or that might be 5%. But when you're not having an attitude of thanksgiving, you're focused on the 1%, 5%, everything feels an absolute mess. When you start prayer and thanksgiving, you recalibrate your mind, you get a better perspective, and you go, what, flipping hang, I've eaten three times today. I'm, I've got a doctor. You know, things might be going difficult, but I've got health, I've got eternal life, I know I'm forgiven, I'm a new creation, I'm seen in the heavenly realms with Christ Jesus, I've got the Holy Spirit living in you, what am I so afraid about? <laughs> when we start an attitude of thanksgiving, not just once a day, see, sometimes we struggle to do that once a day, Daniel was three, David was seven. What makes us think that we can be less? It's ongoing throughout the day, David said, I stopped to praise you seven times a day, why? What's the key word there? I stop. That's the problem, isn't it? We don't stop. We're on the treadmill. We keep going. He says, I stop. We need to stop. Get off the treadmill. We need to have one sound expert says, practice three minutes of silence a day. I do it on my watch, a timer. Three minutes, just silence. I tell you, it's my favorite three minutes. It's just like, you know, I can't get to a Caribbean beach, but this is just, this, this is just as good. Three minutes of silence is beautiful, it's powerful. I would suggest actually that it's not possible to have peace if you don't have prayer. No prayer, no peace. Philippians 4, 6 and 7, don't worry about anything. Instead, pray about everything. Tell God what you need and thank Him. So there we have it again, the, the same formula, prayer and thanks and thank him for all he has done. Then, the key word there is then, there's a prerequisite, there's a requirement, there's a condition to peace. It comes after you do what Daniel did, after you do what David did, after you stop, after you come, after you humble yourself, after you silence, after you still your mind, after you give to God your worries, your cares, and your concerns, you unload them, it says, then God's peace, which exceeds anything you understand, will guard your hearts and minds as you live in Christ Jesus. 
This is actually a practical experience of mine every day of my life. And if you've not experienced it, please ask someone to help you to learn to teach you how to pray because I come to God and I'm troubled. I'm like, God, I'm uptight. I'm anxious. I'm troubled. There's so many things on my mind and I just need you. I need you, God. I can't control things. I can't control my sick circumstances, my situations, but you're in control, God. You love me. You're for me, not against me. You're good. And so I come back into your peace and I ask you to give me your spirit of peace right now. I walk away physically different. My physical symptoms are different. There is less physical tension. There is less uptightness. There is less anxiety. I feel a physical difference. And this is not, you know, you can measure that. If you can measure that on a chart, there would be a significant difference on the chart. It's measurable. Now you could argue against my experience, but that is my actual personal experience. And I'm telling you, it's 100% true for me. My question is, is it true for you? If not, it needs to be. Because I, I would almost suggest it's impossible to have the shalom, the well-being, the wholeness, the health, the goodness, the peace of God without doing what Daniel did, praying. Praying. It's the first important thing. If you want to follow Jesus Christ, be a follower of Jesus Christ, be a Christian. It's one of the first foundational things we not, must not only learn, but put into practice. It could be two minutes, three minutes, four minutes, five minutes, but become a prayer. Jesus said, I am the vine, you are the branches. Whoever abides in me and I in him, he it is that bears much fruit. For apart from me, you can do nothing. We can do nothing. You say, well, I can do plenty of things without God. An atheist can do lots of things without God. Actually, God's goodness and grace goes to the grateful and the ungrateful, to those who believe and to those who unbelieve. You can do nothing without God. You can't exist. God could remove your ability to breathe any second he wants. He could remove the oxygen from the atmosphere. He could decide the universe is no longer going to hold together. Nothing we can do, the food that we eat, the oxygen to breathe, anything we do comes from God. Just most of us don't acknowledge it or, or return thanks and give him praise, but we must learn to abide in him, remain in him, live in him, must learn um, to, to, to pray and become a people of prayer. That was the second characteristic of a spirit of excellence. Number one is determined. Number two is a heart and foundation of prayer and thanksgiving. And number three is 100%. Dependent, prayer and thanksgiving, 100%. It seems to be the buzz phrase just now. Oh yeah, 100%, man. How, how's things going? 100%, 100%. So I've, I've got to get it in for the kingdom. 100% for the kingdom. You know, Jesus said, love God with 50% of your heart, mind, soul, and shit. No, sorry, he said 60. Love God with 60% of your heart. No, sorry, was it 90? No, he said 100. Love God with all, that's 100%, all your heart, mind, soul, and strength. Colossians 3, 23 and 24, whatever you do, work at it with all your heart. Whatever you do. I like that word, whatever. Cleaning the toilets, do it with all your heart. Cleaning your garage, do it with all your heart. Loving your wife, do it with all your heart. Playing with the kids, do it with all your heart. A Christian should do nothing half-heartedly. A Christian shouldn't be sloppy or lazy or cut corners. And certain Christian businesses and whatever our uh, craft is shouldn't have a reputation of being shoddy or, or because that's um, a disregard for the excellence of God. We're called to reflect his image and God does things well and therefore that's why whatever you do, work at it with all your heart. That's in the spirit of excellence. 
Um, and that's the spirit of excellence that we're called to do. It says as though you were working for the Lord and not for people. If you're working for people, you will set yourself up for disappointment, discouragement, because they're never going to be grateful enough. They're never going to thank you enough. They're never going to um, uh, credit you enough. They're, and so we, a spirit of excellence understands whatever you do. It doesn't matter if your boss never recognizes your good work. It's never grateful because you're not doing it for your boss. You're understanding it. Whatever you do, you're doing it for the Lord. You're serving the Lord. And he says, remember that the Lord will give you uh, the reward. The different translations say, work heartily. Man, what's the state of your garage? Want to change the world? Start with your garage. I'm only saying that because one of my New Year's resolutions was to clean my garage, and I've done it. <laughs> and uh, I'm feeling great. I'm not going to tell you about the 90 other things that I've not done yet. My car's an absolute, you know, you've got an old banger? What state is it in? Is it a complete mess? Is it fully junk? Is it dirty? Whatever, whatever you've given. See, God's got a principle. If you take care of the things you've got, he'll give you more. If you're grateful for what you've got and take care of it, treat that banger like it's the, the BMW. And I'm speaking to myself because mine's in absolute state. It's needing a wash and it's untidy. But if you are grateful and treat the things that you have with gratitude and with respect, there is a principle that God will give you more. Work heartily. Work from the, the soul. That is your very best effort. You know, you're asked to clean a floor at work. Have you ever seen, it drives me crazy. Can you mop that floor? One hand. Like, put your back in a hen, for goodness sake. Work heartily is for the Lord. I want to see a bit of elbow grease in that. Uh, I was taught that from Sandra, the supervisor in Cowden Beach. This hen, I'll break those nails for you. Get your back in that mop and give that floor loudy. <laughs> She, was, she understood something. She understood something more than most Christians. Whatever you do, do it heartily as unto the Lord. Do it enthusiastically. Do your best work from the heart. There's nothing worse than a Christian who's got a reputation for being shoddy, for being lazy, for cutting corners. That, see, our, worship, our work is our worship. How you do things is your worship. You think you come, you give worship to love the God with all your heart, I sing with all my heart. That means I've loved God. And then you go and half-hearted at work. You've not worshipped the Lord with all your heart. Your work is your worship. How you are in the home is your worship. How you love and serve people is how you love and serve God. I asked um, Granny Elma, I was raised, and I believe my mom has a spirit of excellence. She's determined to please God, has been. The, the fear of the Lord the, is the beginning of wisdom. And I believe my mom taught me a spirit of excellence. I asked her a few questions, and she said this. I learned a great principle growing up. If a job is worth doing, it's worth doing well. And it became a conviction. I could never do a sloppy job no matter whether I liked to work or not. Some brilliant uh, principles in here, guys, if we could all apply it. And uh, I was blessed with great teachers and examples of excellence. I took great pleasure in learning from them. A hard work ethic. You know, young people, I want to encourage you, get hard work ethic. We need that generational hard work ethic passed on through the generations. If you're a young person, honor, you want to worship God, young people, have a hard work ethic. Do your job well. Become a reputation from your, your boss that you are a good, that you're reliable, that you're punctual, that you're on time, that you're a hard worker. 
It does God no credit or favor. It doesn't honor God if we are sloppy at anything that we do. And this is not about, you know, uh, trying to earn salvation or perfectionism. No, it's doing your very best effort, which will be different from somebody else's. I have always enjoyed bringing beauty to a mealroom atmosphere. Your reputation is everything. I ask my mom these questions. It helps you massively get on in life. Employers love to hire people with these values. It made me feel good about myself and gave me a great sense of achievement. Giving 100% effort to the jobs I did, didn't particularly like. For example, cleaning toilets in hospital casualty led me to my dream job in nursing. See, that's when you're faithful with small things. God sees what you're doing. Promotion comes from God. Work willingly at whatever you do, the Colossians verse. Deep satisfaction comes from doing a job well. When people complained about their jobs, I was always grateful and I had one and able to learn. I had a number of jobs which some saw as menial, but I never ever felt any job was below me. And Proverbs 22.1, a good name is more desirable, desirable than great riches. Wow, come on, we need that. Come on, give it up for my mom. She taught me, you know. When she's baking shortbread, she does it with all her heart. When she does her, her uh, mint uh, slice, you know, whatever it is. And um, I just, I was brought up and raised up in that. And I just think it's, it's, it's a wonderful example of the spirit of excellence. You know, whoever is faithful in small matters, Luke 16, 10, will be faithful in large ones. And Matthew 25, 23, well done, you good and faithful servant. You've been faithful in managing small amounts. Small amounts, folk. The small thing. Small things. Your garage, your car, your relationships, the small things. You'll be entrusted with more. Coming back to, and we're going to finish on this video clip. Um, we said at the start, the Christian shoemaker does his duty not by putting little crosses on the shoes, but by making good shoes. You could say the Christian MRI scanner does his duty not by putting little crosses on MRI scanners, but by making good MRI scanners because God is interested in good craftsmanship. Whatever your craft is, that is your worship to God. That is loving God with all your heart, mind, soul, and strength. Not on a Sunday singing your heart out and then going being sloppy in the craft. <laughs> it's about a spirit of excellence. And we see that Duke Dietz, we heard he was an industrial designer. He had that moment of depression and discouragement with his MRI scanner. But he responded how we are called to respond to those moments of disappointment and discouragement. You know what he did? He went to the experts in children's museums. He went to leading design experts at Stanford University. He went to the children and he got the children to, to understand what would be the patient experience. How can I reduce that 80% sedation rate to get a child to go through it? And he, for me, is an example of one who's in the spirit of excellence, whether, I don't know what his faith is, I have no idea, but he's one who's made in the image of God, who's used his God-given skills and talents and those moments of disappointment to learn from them and to bring human flourishing, to bring blessing, to include empathy in the design process, understanding that God has called us to love and serve others and to bring his flourishing, his beauty, his goodness to the earth. And I want to walk you through a please, couple of the rooms um, that we developed for these children to help them get through this situation. Um, 
These are some of our pilot rooms that are actually at the University of Pittsburgh, a UPMC um, hospital. And this one right here, this one actually is the same machine as you saw that was the stapler. We just worked a little bit on the design, softened it out. We have a ring now instead of that big, big clamp. But what's magical about this room is um, you got to imagine, you know, these pictures don't really do it justice. You got to imagine when you go in there, there's this like light blue sky that's cascading down. We tickle all the senses. We have aromatherapy in there, and I believe in this one we have kind of a, like a water scent that's kind of a nice, kind of a, a soothing scent. It has a little lavender in it, kind of relaxing to do that. We have, um, of course, some of the graphics. So on the back, you'll see there's a waterfall that cascades off the wall. It comes down underneath the scanner, and there's a koi pond that comes out below. And what's magical about this part is uh, the rocks that are the border actually come, and they come down the room, and they go out the hallway. And what's so cute is you'll see the little boys and girls, and they're going like this. And they're walking on the stones, right? They're coming into the room. And they're looking back, and they're going, Dad, Mom, you, no, you got to get on the rocks. <laughs> and they're coming into the room. Three chairs and a blanket, right? They're in this special mode. They come into this room, guys, and the table actually lowers down into the water. It looks like it lowers down into the water, and it's a hollowed-out canoe. So there's a reason this hollowed-out log that they're laying on their back, and, they're, and, they're, and, they're, and then they tell them, you know, this is kind of like a boat, and you need to hold still. It's real important so you don't rock the boat. And this is the magic. If you really hold still, the fish will start jumping over the top of you. And these kids are like statues. They're frozen. <laughs> and, of course, you know, our detectors there slowly start to go around these kids, and they just love it. And for a modality like this where they, they sedate them maybe 80% of the time, I think this machine's been in for a couple of years now or about a, a little over a year, and they've sedated like two kids. Like .0 something something. <laughs> Oh, here's a couple more. Um, this one is a, this one's Pirate Adventure. This one is, it's funny. I tell, I say they're all my favorite. So <laughs> get used to that. This, so this is my favorite. Um, so when you, so when you walk into this room, you come in on a dock, and the floor is kind of this watercolor. It's right here. You walk in, you come in on a dock. There's a shipwreck that's in the corner. There's some sand castles. Um, it's just beautiful. And then there's actually a plank there that you can see that you actually walk the plank to go onto the scanner. Of course, right? And what's kind of magical about this one, we couldn't affect the design as much on this one um, as we did on the nuclear scanner. But if you look really close, that picture on the bottom there, that black and white picture, is the same room as the top one. And if you look at the, we call it the bore, if you look at the circle where you go through, we put the steering wheel there with those radial handles on there. And look at that. That's the same piece of equipment. Doesn't it look like we stretched it out? You know, like maybe 20% or something. I mean, it looks so much bigger in that one. It's the same piece of equipment. Um, and this one, the story that goes with this, is pretty powerful. Um, there were a bunch of cabinets in this room. And when we were talking to the kids of the things that scared them in the room, this particular one, they said, you know, that reminds me of the dentist. Not a good thing. Um, so we, we, we got a little creative and we made a tiki hut. You can see a little of the top of it there. We did a tiki hut there, and then for our aromatherapy in there, we put pina colada. <laughs> and what's so cute about that is the parents, when they come in, you know, and they're, they're in there, and usually the child's playing with, you know, around. We have characters on the wall that they're hugging and they're naming. It's really cute. And you'll see the parents, they're looking at each other, and they go, is that what I think it is? Is that? 
And you go, yeah, that's, P and they go, can we have one? So no, <laughs> sorry, we know that would help you get through, but no, I'm sorry, you can't have one. But um, I was actually, um, you know, what's nice about that too is when the children see their parents, you know, kind of elbowing each other, thinking of, you know, about their honeymoon in Bermuda or something, you know, having a pina colada, they're smiling and the children are really picking up on this. And I learned for sure, if you've got the child, you get the parent, if you get the parent, you can get the child because they're always looking for that reaction, which is really cool. And the story that goes with this one is, so I'm talking with the, the parents about the pina colada, actually, and um, the little girl had already just had her scan. And um, I'm talking with the parents, and the little girl keeps coming up, and she's pulling on her mom's shirt. And about on the second or third time, you know, the mom, you know, kind of interrupts, and she goes, what is it, honey? And the little girl looks up, and she says, can we come back tomorrow? <laughs> so I'm just, you know, that's a pretty powerful thing. Wow, look at that. Isn't that a spirit of excellence? Let's have the band back up. Isn't that just fantastic? Reduced it from 80% sedation to two kids sedation. For me, that's an example of what you do with a moment, a moment of discouragement and depression. This guy worked his butt off because he loves people. I've no idea what his faith is, but he's created in the image of God and has a desire to be a blessing. And that is a modern example. Whatever your craft, whatever your skill, how does it serve and love and bring human flourishing and beauty and joy to the world? I just love that story and I had to, had to show it. So I just want to, um, uh, let's stand to feel this worship. You know, a spirit of excellence, three things, determined to honor and love and serve God, a spirit of prayer and thanksgiving, and 100%. Let's just close our eyes and pray, shall we? And let's just have the band start to play. We're going to go into worship. Father, we thank you that you are a God of excellence. When you sent your son, Jesus Christ, you were determined that we would come home to you because you wanted us to love and be at home with you. And you invite us today to come home. If there's anyone here today that doesn't know Jesus Christ personally, we believe Father God sent his only son Jesus Christ to die on a cross that if you believe in him he'll for, and ask for forgiveness for all the, the stuff that we've done, he'll forgive us. He'll give us new life, a new start. And he'll come bring the peace that we so long for. Just everybody pray with me. Dear Father, I need you. Please come into my life and forgive me. I need you today. In Jesus' name. Amen. With every eye closed, if you said that prayer for the first time today, Father, his promise is he hears you, he forgives you, he gives you a brand new start. Anyone here, just with every eye closed, say that I want to just put their hand up to acknowledge before you, just before you and God. Anyone here today, thank you. Anybody else, thank you. Wonderful, wonderful. Anybody else? Anybody else? Father, we just thank you for these people, Lord. Fill them right now. 
May they experience your love. May they experience your peace. May you touch them now, Lord, overwhelm them with Father's love right now. Let your spirit flow in this place. Father God, you're a God of excellence. May we, like Daniel, like David, like Joseph, be people that are determined to love and obey you and serve you and not compromise in the culture in which we live. May we be people of prayer and thanksgiving and may we give 100% in whatever we do that our crafts would bring you glory because you are interested in good craftsmanship. You're, you're interested in how we give our all with the gifts, the skills, the talents you have given us. So Father, send us out from this place, we pray, with renewed desire to love and serve you with our hearts. Can we do that right now? Can we just do what David and Daniel did? They praised and thanked three to seven times a day. Can we put our hands together, lift your voice, and just praise God right now? Come on, put your hands together. Come on, come on. Praise you, Lord. We thank you.